0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast, hosted at Podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, August 8th, 2021, and this is show number 848. Well, you know, I'm super proud of the uninterrupted 16 years of the No Silicast, but I'm also really happy that I don't have a world record going for Chit Chat Across the Pond. I don't worry if a week goes by without a chit-chat, like last week, and it also gives me the freedom to do what I did this week, which is publish two episodes within 24 hours. On Chit Chat Across the Pond Light, I interviewed Dr. Nikki Ackermans. She's a postdoctoral fellow of the Swiss National Science Foundation at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Her current work focuses on the anatomy and neuroscience of traumatic brain injury in head-butting animals. She's also the science correspondent for the Daily Tech News Show and hosted the Seniors in Tech series on DTNS, including interviewing Silla Castaway, Sandy Foster and me. She's also the host of the podcast, Stories Your Granny Never Told. Nikki in Chit Chat Across the Pond Light tells us about her research doing MRIs on oxen and sheep brains I should say ox and sheep brains, and studying CT scans of their skulls to determine the effect of headbutting on their brains and whether they suffer the same kinds of concussions as humans. The hope is to try to help humans who suffer concussions, including football players and people in the service. Now, this sounds like a really creepy topic, but Nikki is absolutely delightful as she describes her delight in her work and how much fun it is. She's entertaining and funny and brilliant. I learned so much, and I smiled the entire time. You can find this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond Lite in your podcatcher of choice. Now, here's a crazy, crazy coincidence. As I was actively in the process of editing the audio for my interview with Dr. Nikki, a real-life friend of mine sent me a tweet she found funny on an animal forum, and it was from Dr. Nikki herself. How crazy is that? That's like destiny. In the second chit-chat across the pond from this weekend, in Programming by Stealth number 122, Bart continues teaching us how to use Chez Moi to manage our dot .files in Git. That sounds like a lot of jargon to pack into one sentence, but of course, Bart breaks this down into what dot .files are, why we care about them, why we might like to manage them, and how Chez Moi lets us do just that. It's a fun show where we actually get to use Chez Moi to manage and edit some files. And of course, you can find this episode of Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice. Speaking of your podcatcher of choice, I highly recommend you check out last week's five episodes of the In a Few Minutes podcast with Ken Ray because it features our very own Bart Bouchotts. Ken's show is five days with the same person on five different short topics. Bart and Ken talked about connected speakers, Apple and COVID. They disagreed on Apple's approach to the App Store and how it's a money-making deal. Bart discusses with Ken the same topic I discussed with him, whether Apple should stay in China and continue to say that privacy is a human right. Finally, they end the week with Bart choosing the three people he'd want to invite to a dinner party. He actually cheated, but Ken allowed it, and it was awesome. The show is called In a Few Minutes, and you know where you can find it. Last week, Bart told you about how he fell in love with AirPlay 2 because of the Sonos speakers that he bought for his house, and he later added HomePod minis. He spoke of the wonders of whole-home audio. I love this review because I love listening to basically anything Bart chooses to describe, but also because I too have fallen in love with AirPlay 2, but through a completely different avenue. Let me set the stage a little bit before I describe the discovery of AirPlay 2. We have a formal living room, which means it's a room that is never used. In fact, it's so rarely used that the couches we bought when we first got married are still in there because they're barely worn after 38 years. We have a nice sound system, including a record player, a cassette tape deck, a dual cassette tape deck, don't you know, and a CD player. It's like time traveling to go into our living room. We do have two more recent additions to the living room, a relatively modern Sony audio receiver and some new speakers. The living room's main job is to have a place to hang out when company comes over, including our kids when they come to visit. When company comes over, Steve likes to play music. The cassette deck hasn't been used in ages, and the turntable is only used for a walk down memory lane from time to time, but the CD player has been our go-to for many years. But with the advent of modern streaming music, Steve has wanted to use his iPhone to play music to the audio entertainment system. Quite a few years ago, he came up with a solution. He plugged in a composite audio cable to the left right analog jacks on the back of the receiver, you know, those red and white cables, and he plugged the cable around, or he dragged the cable around the front and he hung it out the glass doors of the stereo cabinet. To that, he connected an adapter to go from the dual composite audio connectors to a stereo mini jack. Then he added the adapter to go from stereo mini jack jack to lightning. It really is a beauty to behold and so elegant. It worked well, but there were three problems with it. it men having this triple cable dongle hanging out of the front of the stereo cabinet. His phone couldn't be charged while it was connected, and he couldn't easily play with or move about with his phone while it was running the music for all of us. Last year, Steve had an idea. The semi-modern audio receiver has an HDMI connector on it. It doesn't accept a video signal, but Steve thought maybe we could plug an Apple TV in via HDMI, and then he could use AirPlay to send audio from his iPhone to the Apple TV and then in, in, in return go to the receiver. Before our kids came over to play, we unplugged the Apple TV in my studio and plugged it into the receiver. We were immediately faced with a problem. When you plug an Apple TV into a new device, you have to view a code that's on-screen and plug it into your iPhone. But this Apple TV didn't have a display. I tried plugging my little 12-inch USB-C display into the Apple TV, you know, temporarily, just so we could get the code, and it worked. After that, Steve finally had a solution for music from his phone to the living room stereo. But then I needed my Apple TV back. Every time we wanted to play music, we had to move it back and forth and do the dance with the USB-C display to get it working again. Then Apple announced the second generation Apple TV 4K. We already had five Apple TVs, a first-gen 4K, three HDs from 2015, and an old third-gen that didn't even have apps. It was obviously time to justify buying two new Apple TVs. We came up with an elaborate flowdown plan, which of course I diagrammed with my favorite mind-mapping tool, iThoughts. We could buy two new 4Ks, then after the elaborate flow-down process, we'd be able to finally have an app-capable HD Apple TV in the kitchen, and then the aged third-generation Apple TV that does have AirPlay could be free to plug into the stereo in the living room and just live there. There was only one problem with this strategy. A month or so later, when the Apple TVs, the new ones, actually arrived, we completely forgot to save the third-gen Apple TV for the living room, and we gave it away to our housekeeper. I didn't realize I'd made this mistake for several weeks, so it seemed kind of mean to ask for it back. At this point, I figured the next most obvious solution was to buy Steve an AirPlay-compatible receiver. As I said, the Sony receiver he had was relatively modern, but that word relatively is in comparison to <laughs> the cassette deck. The receiver is around 8 years old, making it far too young to retire, but I started to hunt for a reasonably priced AirPlay receiver anyway. I found a list of possible candidates at Best Buy, but they were all running around $700. Now, we're not above paying that much for entertainment gear, but remember, this room gets used pretty much at Thanksgiving and Christmas. I was discouraged by the price of a new receiver to solve this problem, so I threw out the question of my research assistant, Stephen Getz. I asked him what the least expensive solution was to get airplay to a stereo. At first, he suggested an Apple TV, and then I explained to him why that didn't work, but then he found the Belkin SoundForm Connect audio adapter with AirPlay 2 for $100. I'd found a few little adapters like it, but they all talked about connecting to speakers, not receivers. I took a look at the Belkin, and it looked like it might be the right tool for the job. It seemed to be making a big deal about the fact that it was AirPlay 2, and I asked Stephen, what's so great about AirPlay 2? He explained patiently, since the technology came out three years ago, that it allows simultaneous playback on multiple devices at once, and they would be in sync. Boy, I really should have been paying attention to this. Did I mention that we now have six Apple TVs, and they're all compatible with AirPlay 2, including the HD models from 2015? On top of that, we have a big girl HomePod and three HomePod minis. They're all AirPlay 2 capable. I immediately brought up Apple Music on my phone and went to the AirPlay symbol, and sure enough, there were all 10 devices awaiting my streaming audio. To say I did a head slap at that moment is not an exaggeration. Every morning when Steve and I are getting ready to start our day, I play the video version of the Daily Tech News Show on my 12.9-inch iPad Pro on the bathroom counter. We move back and forth into the bedroom and back as we get ready, so I pick the iPad Pro up and I move it back and forth constantly throughout the morning. As soon as I saw the light about this three-year-old wonder that is AirPlay 2, I realized I could simply send the audio to the bathroom HomePod Mini and the Apple TV hooked up to the TV entertainment system in the bedroom with the good speakers. With the other wonder of technology, CEC, when I send the audio to the Apple TV, it automatically turns on the receiver pretty quickly so we don't have to go in and turn it on ourselves. The only downside is that the TV itself turns on, but we get the pretty screensaver to watch while Tom Merritt explains the tech news to us. Now that I understood the magic of AirPlay 2, I knew that the Belkin Soundform Connect was exactly what I needed. I ordered it, and I got a ship date that was pretty quick, but then it got delayed and delayed and delayed. It was a little bit discouraging, especially when it finally shipped, and the minute it did ship, but before I got it, I got a request to review it. Anyway, the Soundform Connect from Belkin finally arrived, and it is glorious! The Soundform Connect adapter is a very small black box with three connectors on it. On one side, you plug in the included USB-C to USB-A power cable to the adapter that is also included a USB-A power block. On the other side of the device are two connectors. You get a stereo mini-jack for analog audio out or a digital optical audio out connector. Well, we obviously wanted the best audio possible, so we wanted to use the digital, the digital optical option. For the grand price of two dollars and sixty-three cents from Monoprice, I was able to buy their six-foot SPDIF Toslink digital optical audio cable to connect from the balcony to one of the two digital optical in connectors on the back of our stereo receiver. Now The hardest part of setting up the Belkin SoundForm Connect was physically pulling the receiver out of the cabinet to get back to the connectors on the back to plug in the adapter. You've done this before, you know what I'm talking about. Other than that, the setup of the Belkin device gave us the most instant gratification of anything we've installed probably in the last decade. I opened the instructions and it showed one simple step. Place your phone on top of the device where it shows a Wi-Fi symbol. I did just that and up popped a screen on my iPhone that said audio receiver with a button that said add to home. I tapped it and it offered to add the receiver to my specific home in HomeKit. It then started to connect to my network and in about a half second, my Eero gave me a notification that a new Ampac Technologies device had joined my network. Now We like to jump on things like this uh, and rename them in Eero so we can keep track of what's what, but when Steve went into the Eero app, it was correctly identified as Soundform Connect. I was also shown a screen where I could name the device in HomeKit and it was also pre-populated with the correct name. I would estimate the total setup time to have been about 8 seconds and the living room stereo was now available for AirPlay 2. It just works. When Steve moved into the dorms in college about a hundred years ago, the first thing he did was set up his stereo. At the time, he played the song More Than a Feeling by Boston at a fairly high volume, just to test out the audio quality and speaker configuration. Ever since then, every time he sets up a new audio device, even when it's not at our own house, if he's testing headphones or even set up, sets up audio equipment, say, for our kids, he always plays the same song. It's kind of a family tradition now. So, of course, the minute we got the Belkin Soundform Connect working on the living room stereo, he tested it with more than a feeling. It worked immediately and sounded fantastic. But remember, the joy of AirPlay 2 as described by Stephen Getz, we should be able to play to all 11 AirPlay 2 devices with them all perfectly in sync. We opened up the AirPlay controls in Control Center and tapped all 11 devices. All over the house, HomePods started playing and TVs turned on to start playing from the Apple TVs. a few of our TVs are too cheap or too old to support CEC, so we had to turn them on manually like animals, but eventually our entire house was filled with glorious 1970s music. Now, you know that's not the end of the story, because as engineers we felt an obligation to determine if they were all in sync we cranked up the vol- volume on all of the devices with more than a feeling on a loop so we could stand between the rooms and judge whether they were truly all in sync with each other. Now here's the crazy result. As far as we can discern, nine of the 11 devices were in sync, but two devices were slightly lagging behind, the $300 full-size HomePod and the Belkin SoundForm Connect. They're in different rooms and they were connected to different Eero Mesh base stations. We pretty much have no explanation as to why just these two devices are slightly behind, but after extensive, full-volume testing, we decided the lag isn't big enough that we'd actually even care. It's just a scientific data point. After a good half hour of repeating the same song over and over again at full blast, Steve wondered out loud if our neighbor Rick might be bothered by the volume and repetitiveness of our tests since our window facing his house was open. Within about 30 seconds of when he said that, I got a text message from the, the awesome Rick himself. He wrote, Are you playing Boston more than a feeling? I love that song. I'm telling you, Rick is the best neighbor, next door neighbor ever. Unfortunately, after that, he started making song requests from the Eagles and Cat Stevens, so we had to cut him off after a while. So the bottom line is like Bart, I'm in love with Airplay 2 as well. I can't believe I didn't understand this for three years when my house was filled with capable devices. I'm also in love with the Belkin SoundForm Connect as a way to add AirPlay 2 to an existing audio receiver or speakers. With the $2.63 digital optical cable from Monoprice, we now have AirPlay 2 on the good stereo in the room that nobody ever goes in. The USB-C power supply is even narrow in the right direction, so it fits into a power strip only taking up one plug. The Belkin SoundForm Connect is perfect. I'm gonna give my voice a little break here and hand the microphone over to Alistair Jenks.
1: When I bought my Apple Silicon powered MacBook Pro in late 2020, I wasn't sure what I'd do with my 2018 Mac mini. My overriding thought was it would be useful to keep around as a server, but what would it serve? I've traditionally sold all my old Macs to help defray the cost of my new shiny Macs, but have for a long time liked the idea of a Mac mini in a closet to perform uh, some tasks. I started really thinking about what features I have previously relied on when I've had an always-on desktop Mac, and which I still want. It came down to two things, serving ripped DVD content and sharing files with my wife. The former task is a pretty rare need these days with endless streaming entertainment available at the click of a button, and if I upgrade my wife's iMac beyond Mojave, iCloud Drive can deal with the later task. So now I'm finally in the position to have my Mac Mini in the closet, there's nothing for it to do. One of the possible roles I considered for the Mac Mini was something I've long desired, a mass storage solution. I coveted Drobos for many years and have recently been hearing a lot about Synology NAS units. I have a bunch of bare hard drives laying around my study with stuff on them. The Mac Mini isn't really well suited to this task, but maybe selling it could cover the cost of a NAS and I could consolidate all that stuff in a single place and never lose another file again. After much research I settled on what would be the ideal Synology NAS, a 5 bay unit that could meet my total current storage and still allow for future expansion. However, the cost of this unit is likely more than the Mac Mini would fetch second hand in a private sale and that's an empty unit. Now I did say I have hard drives lying around and I worked out that I could actually populate the NAS with them. I could move my data around to clear two of the largest drives put those in the nas copy the data back onto them freeing up additional drives to be placed in the nas too at the end i'd have my coveted mesh storage device and slightly less money than i started with it occurred to me that i could probably just buy a single high capacity drive and indeed you can now purchase such drives up to an enormous 18 terabytes a moderately sized drive is cheaper than the empty nas but then creates a single point of failure which would be expensive to address in the case of such failure. So I put my thinking cap on and returned to what should have been at the top of this story. What problem am I trying to solve? To spend money? No, no, the problem is losing files. While it would be nice to have a single volume, or perhaps a few, always available at a moment's notice, the reality is the contents of my array of hard drives are rarely updated or accessed. I have an icy dock drive toaster in which I can quickly and easily mount any of my drives if I just knew which one. It was then the thought occurred to me that there was probably a simple answer. I took a punt and spent fourteen ninety nine New Zealand dollars on the application Offline Discs File Searcher in the Mac App Store. This simple but effective app does one thing and does it well. You tell it to scan a hard drive and it captures the entire directory structure plus a little information about the drive itself and stores it. One by one, I mounted my drives and added them to the app, which now serves two purposes. If I want to move some files offline, I can consult Offline Disks file searcher for which drives have sufficient free space and perhaps similar content. Or I can search all my drives just like the Spotlight, although this is limited to the file names. So now I have my mass storage with no single point of failure and no lost files for the princely sum of fourteen ninety nine New Zealand dollars. I'll sell the Mac Mini and put the proceeds into my tech gear budget for something else cool.
0: Well, that offline disk file searcher sounds really good. I definitely have some old disks set aside and I'm going to check that out. I do have one comment and I sent this message to Alistair, but I sent it in a medium that I don't think he follows. Um, He talks about having no single point of failure, and that's true because he's got all these different disks, so all of them would have to fail for all of the data to be gone, but he doesn't actually talk about how he's doing any backups of each individual disk, so I'm not sure he solved that problem with the way he described it, but knowing Alistair, he's probably got a good solution already in place for that situation. I have a great tiny tip for you. Have you ever needed to see an entire month or an entire year calendar just to look at dates, but you don't want it all cluttered up with your appointments? On macOS, there's a super easy way to do it. To instantly see the current month, just open the Terminal app. It's located in Applications Utilities and type just this, C-A-L, Cal. Boom. The current month in an easy to read calendar, just the information you need. So fast and so easy. I use this all the time. Well, this week I had a problem to be solved, and I knew that Terminal was the fastest way to solve it. I knew I'd written a blog post on October 17th, 2018, and I needed to find the folder where I'd stored the extra information for that blog post. I keep my notes for my blog posts in folders on my Mac by the year, month, and day of the Sunday of the podcast episode. So to find the notes for October 17th, 2018's blog post, I needed to find the date of the following Sunday. Easy peasy with Terminal. Terminal. Instead of typing Cal, I needed to tell it the year I wanted to look at. So I simply typed in Cal 2018. Boom again! I instantly had the entire 2018 year shown month by month in a beautiful calendar view, and I could see that the following Sunday was 21 October 2018. Here's another fun use for it. Have you ever wondered on what day of the week you were born? I'm pretty sure I was born on a Sunday, but I can verify it by just adding the month into the command. So I type cal space 04 space 1958. This gives me just the month of April in 1958. And sure enough, Steve and I were born on the 20th, which was a Sunday. Now that's most of what I do with Terminal to look at calendars. But if in Terminal you type man space cal, you'll see the manual or man pages for the command cal. I started reading it and I discovered you can view the current month, but also the month on either side by typing cal space minus three. Maybe you want to look at the previous 12 months. You want to know this month and the 11 months before it, starting with the current month. For that, we need to use the dash B flag that tells it to go back a certain number of months. So if you type cal space dash capital B, 11, you'll get the 12 months with this month included. It's really cool. Give it a try, get it into your muscle memory, and then someday you'll be needing to see a calendar and you'll remember, hey, I've got one right here in my terminal. This week's hero of the show is David Berger. He went to podfeed.com slash Patreon and he pledged his hard-earned money to show his appreciation for the work we do here at the PodFeed podcast. He gets value out of the shows and he matched that value. I can't thank David enough and all of the other existing patrons for their continued support. If you find value in the shows, continue to becoming a hero like David and show your support by going to podvi.com slash Patreon to help out the show. Well, it's that time of the week again. And it's time for Security Bits with Barbu Shots. Howdy again, Bart. Hello, hello, hello. And, uh, we just had fun doing some uh, some programming together, and uh, now we're going to talk about security bits. And uh, boy, do we have a, should we light our hair on fire question for today, right?
2: Yeah, we basically have one big Apple story and a few other things happened. But I guess we'll start <laughs> with a few other things, because there's some been some follow-up on some, long, you know, some recent and long-running stories. So the first and most obvious one is our friends at the NSO Group and their little winged horse, Pegasus. Um, it's not 100% clear but it seems like Apple have patched the vulnerability that Pegasus was making use of, they rushed out an emergency patch that people think patched Pegasus, so that was iOS 14.7.1 oh, that's, 1.
0: that, that's a, a whack-a-mole job, but okay, go yeah,
2: exactly whack that but mole, it's a cat and mouse game so, you know, go cat or go mouse, whichever, anyway <laughs> um, the uh, Pegasus, so the NSO group uh, have decided that uh, maybe they should investigate after all, even though they initially denied there was anything wrong. Uh, and in so doing, they have already suspended a bunch of their customers. Really? Yes. So when their initial that's denial was that there was nothing to see here, what they meant was, oh, no, we have a real problem and we're dealing with it. But anyway, that's uh, interesting. I wonder
0: if you can trust them. <laughs> yeah. Like they could just k- shut off a couple of governments and leave a bunch of other ones. Well, I guess when they have enough public pressure, you can. It's much easier yeah, maybe.
2: to do it now. Um, iMazing, which is mostly a backup tool for getting stuff off your iPhone. Well, its whole shtick is that it reads iPhone backup files. And the mm-hmm. Pegasus log files and stuff are in the backup files. So Ooh. it's... a. Uh, Initially, it would seem like a weird feature for iAmazing to add Pegasus detection, but actually, given what their app does, they're the perfect place to put it, so they have added it. So if you are an iAmazing customer, you can now do a quick little check for Pegasus. I will be very surprised if you find it as one of our listeners, but hey...
0: You could check. Yeah, that's yeah. nice to know. Uh, Amazing is great at doing backups, but it does a lot of. It, actually, your description was good. It's good at getting things off of your phone. Yes. Like one of the things it can do is get voicemail messages off of your phone, yes. which people have used uh, to, uh, you know, recover messages from people who are no longer with us and things like that. So it does it does a, quite a few really interesting things.
2: Yeah, because its basic trick is that it can read the iPhone backup file and then extract information from it.
0: I keep almost buying it. And I I say almost because I really like what it does And I think it's really cool And I don't need what it does But I want to pay him because it's such a cool tool
2: Yeah, it's one of those products that like If I need it, I know what to do And I know where to get it from But I really hope I never need it (laughs) I it means something's wrong (laughs) Yeah Um, And then John Gruber dug up an old news story That I should have remembered But Facebook do so many evil things It's hard to keep track But (laughs) When we heard the name, the name NSO group definitely triggered something in the back of my memory, but I hadn't quite realized what. So one of Facebook's many past scandals was that they were caught paying for malware to spy on their legitimate users on iOS. It was the NSO group they tried to buy the malware from. Oh my
0: gosh.
2: They tried to license Pegasus to spy on Facebook users. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. And the NSO group, credit to them, said, no, that's not what we do. <laughs> Look, our hat is grey, not black. Grey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Facebook, what colour is your hat?
2: Yeah. Uh, you then pointed out uh, a story to me. Just, you know, we knew that there would be lots of fallout it would take a long time to understand how much damage was done by the Solar Winds attack. While well, twenty-seven U.S. attorney offices were hit by the Solar Winds attack, and many, many, many high percentage of their email accounts were accessed, etc. So that is just, yeah, we knew it was in government stuff. U.S. attorneys, not a good place, but hey, there we are. Uh, and in terms of act-tracking transparency, uh, we talked last time about dust settling. Uh, a little bit more news in that regard. Uh, Facebook had their earnings call. And uh, despite telling us that the world would end if Apple were allowed to do this, uh, their ad revenue was absolutely positively fine, which I actually find oh. mildly disappointing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's funny right there, Bart.
2: Yeah, so there we are. Uh On the other hand, social media companies are continuing to try to tackle abuses of their systems. We have Twitter announcing they are partnering with the Associated Press and Reuters to beef up their misinformation tackling. So, you know the way during the last election and during COVID, they have been putting context around trending topics, where they give you links to reliable sources of real information around popular conversations on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And that's been a reactive process. Well, they now say that they want to work with the AP and Reuters to be proactive. So to anticipate things that are likely to become viral and then to have the contextual posts ready to go so that from the moment the thing kicks off, you have the real information available.
0: Oh, wow. That that seems like pre-crime. That good luck. For, I mean, if they got a way to do that.
2: Well, I mean, you should be able to tell from a story whether it's likely to be the kind of thing that takes off, right? If you are, if you have good But you have to do
0: that before it takes off.
2: Right. So the best chance you have is to have journalists on your team. So hence, partnering with two of the world's biggest journalism organizations seems like a good way to go. It's interesting.
0: But journalists are humans who have to be able to read how much before it happens, you know, before it blows up. That's the tricky bit.
2: True, true. But it does take some amount of time for something to go viral, so know anyway, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, Twitter have also added support for signing with Apple, which is just a nice little... Mm. Oh, good on you. Uh, and then we have a related counter-example. New York University researchers speak out after Facebook disables their accounts.
0: Yeah, so this was an interesting story that uh, Tom Merrick covered extensively on uh, Daily Tech News show. And it, it, just to give a little bit of background, see if I can get this right: is these these researchers um, were uh, pulling data from accounts of users who had agreed to allow them to do it. Yes, and um, and then they what they were looking for was was whether people are more extreme today in what they're reading than what they were reading, I think it was like a decade ago. And what they actually found out was that they aren't uh, reading more. It isn't more extreme, which, yeah, which was really, really interesting that the data showed that there wasn't. But in doing this, part of what they got in their data set was, um, it, it was fine that they were getting data from users who said, yes, it's okay that you look at my data. But they also pulled ad data when they did that. And Facebook is saying, well, you're not allowed to pull anybody's data that didn't agree to it. My, our advertisers didn't agree to it, so we're canceling your account. So they canceled the individuals accounts that worked on the project. So, you know, Sally can't see her grandchildren grow up on Facebook because she worked on this NYU thing, which was kind of weird. The interesting thing was the the FTC, no, FCC communication. Basically, yeah, they they wrote a scathing letter to Facebook saying, we know what you're doing here is you're trying to use these rules that we imposed on you to try to justify what you did to them and that's not right. I mean, it was a, it was a severe finger wag, but I don't think Facebook has reversed it yet.
2: If they have it, then no one's reported the reversal as of last time I checked my newsfeed. Hopefully yeah, I'll a follow-up next time Is and Facebook do the right thing. But yeah, so they are yeah. saying that the... Privacy of their actual customers is being violated by these terrible researchers. So they're using consumer protections to protect advertisers.
0: Right. Right. Because they're saying... There are users and they're being hurt. It's
2: like, yeah, oh, finally you're being honest. Finally you're being honest. Because what you call your users are actually your product.
0: Exactly. I'll try to... um, See if I can find the link to the FD, the FCC article because that, that would was, be nice. I, and I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it. It was it, was, it was really well written too. Excellent.
2: No, oh, that that would be lovely. Uh, the link I have is an article on Protocol, which is pretty good, but it would be nice to have um, to have the other one as well. Uh, another quick follow up. Then Mozilla's VPN is extending to seven more countries. Unfortunately, it is also increasing in price. So the seven new people who get to play along are the Austrians, the Belgians, the French, the Germans, the Italians, the Spanish, and the Swiss. Not the Irish. Hmm. Um, And finally, uh, we talked about Audacity and their new owner is not getting off to a great start. Well, there is a bit of good news. Uh, They have a lot of work to do to earn my trust back, but they have made significant progress by putting out an entirely new privacy policy that bears no resemblance to the previous one, doesn't do the stupid 13 years of age thing, doesn't do the whole we'll send stuff to law enforcement thing, and doesn't collect your PII. So it, th- this is a massive reversal of the problematic uh, previous privacy policy that got them into so much trouble.
0: So do you trust him now? Uh, probation. Okay. Right. So, I mean, would you download Audacity today if you needed it?
2: If I needed it, I would, but it will be a last resort mm-hmm. because I, I, I hate four nerds, by nerds user interfaces. <laughs> I understand how powerful the app is and I understand how amazing it is that it exists. And I mean, it, the world is better off for its existence, but I'm still going to use nice shiny GUIs even if I have to pay for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the one thing I used um, Audacity for forever is noise reduction. It's got a really good noise reduction tool and I've got a tutorial on, on uh, podfeet.com about it. It is my number one hit Site on all everything I've ever done in PodFeed.com. Just every every week I'll I'll see you know a bunch of people going back to it. and It's probably well over ten years since I wrote it. Excellent. But they they just I just paid for the uh, full pro version of Hindenburg, mm. and it's it's noise reduction is just magical. You press a button, it goes yeah, I got that. <laughs> To, to, like wait, I didn't push, I didn't do any dials, I didn't twiddle any numbers. It goes, yeah, yeah. No, I I measured it, I got rid of it, and it sounds perfect now. And I, I mean, it is unbelievable huh, how so well if it you works. Pay
2: for expertise, it works.
0: Yeah, it's funny that way. Mm-hmm. Excellent, that's good. <laughs> but know. still, if you don't have the money, Audacity has good good noise reduction, and you can use my tutorial
2: exactly. And like the GIMP, it's great that it exists, and I will use it if I need to. But gosh darn it, the the the, the nicer interfaces are nicer. Yeah. So, let us move on to our deep dive, Apple's new child protections. So, Apple announced three distinct new features that are coming in their OS's later this year. And they're three very different things, which unfortunately are full of nuance, and unfortunately are getting conflated with each other, and they're getting caught up in everyone's race to be the first to have a hot take. So it's a difficult thing that takes, you know, detailed, nuanced understanding. There is a rush to publish, uh, and there are three things that happened at once, and there is also the fact that there's nothing that makes clickbait like an Apple headline. So there is certainly some of that going on.
0: Bert said in our chat before we started this, he said, no one has yet made a loss writing baseless clickbait about Apple. Yeah.
2: I mean, there is definitely some of that going on too. And there is also just honest misunderstandings. And there is a stupidly ill-informed rush to be first to have a hot take. So there's a lot mm. going on. So when you start off with misunderstandings and confusion as your basis for then building an opinion on top of it, it's probably not surprising the opinions are often garbage. So initially I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to just, you know, explain why this person's wrong, why this person's wrong, why this person's wrong. It's like, no. No, 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 no. That's a terrible thing and it'll just make me cranky. Why don't we go about it from the other point of view and say what Apple actually did? And then people can make their own in- opinions based on facts and knowledge and understanding instead of hot takes. So I basically, I want to focus on describing what Apple did, not on what everyone is saying. Um,
0: so, Perfect, that sounds great.
2: I. Let's put it into a a bit of bigger context first. So Apple are rolling out these three distinct features. They're each independent of each other, and they're all doing very different things. But there are some overriding goals that are common to the three. And the first of those is that Apple are relying on on on-device processing. So they are avoiding sending stuff to Apple's servers for processing. They're doing all the processing on your phone, So that Apple don't have to know what's being processed, which is a very big difference to how most other cloud providers do things. The other thing is that Apple are relying on cryptography to mathematically ensure the restrictions they're imposing on themselves. So it's not that there's... When Apple say, we can't see X until Y happens, that's not a policy thing enforced by rules. That's a cryptography thing enforced by maths. And that's a huge difference, right? If the underpinning is human beings and human processes, those fail because of human foibles. They fail because of social engineering and they could fail because of malice. Whereas mathematics, cryptography is built on math. (laughs) It doesn't fail like that. So the fact that Apple doesn't have have an opinion, (laughs) it doesn't have an opinion. So the fact that Apple have built this on cryptography instead of on policy, that because my initial feeling was I need to read more because this has the potential to be really bad. But as soon as it became clear to me that this is not based on policy and promises, this is based on math and cryptography, I feel an awful lot better about it because the underpinning is mathematical. The underpinning is cryptographic, not process.
0: Let me interrupt really quickly. Um, I may have missed it, but I want to make sure we said what the context of this entire conversation is is it's about child pornography no I'm not it, sure no we said that's it. only
2: part of what it's about so actually don't say okay that.
0: but we haven't given any context of what I, this i know because i'm coming about. to
2: it I'm, I'm building up my story because the three tools attack very different things
0: right i just want to make sure if people have read anything they now know what we're talking about okay, gotcha. what the conversation yes, is that's yes. all just trying to yes so
2: yeah so in. child okay. protection and one of the things they're protecting from is what we now should call CSAM. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a moment. So this is all resting on cryptography, which is one of the reasons I'm so... One of the things I think is very good about what Apple has decided to do. So there are three cryptographic concepts we have to have straight in our head before we can have this conversation. So the first is the concept of an image hash. So we have met many times in this segment the concept of hashing text. Right? You, have a, you have some normal data, and you shove it into a hashing function. Passwords being a great example. And no matter how long the data is, you get out a unique hash and you can't go backwards, right? If you hash the password monkey and you hash the password donkey, you get a completely different hash. And if I give you the hash, you can't
0: know that my password was monkey or donkey. And if I were to hash monkey and donkey with the same hashing algorithm, I would get that same hash.
2: Yes, exactly. Yes, it is a deterministic One-way function. I used
0: to say it was like mashed potatoes, but it's not, because if I mashed a potato and you mashed a potato, we wouldn't get the same mashed potatoes at the end.
2: (laughs) Yes, but we can't (laughs) unscramble it or unmash it, so yeah. Right. It is a one-way function. And that works great for text, but for an image, you need to be a bit cleverer about it, because what you need to do is you need to have an algorithm that hashes what's important about a photograph, so that if you... Change it from a JPEG to a PNG, you still get the same hash. Ah. But two photos of the two different photos of the same person should not get the same hash.
0: And a cropped version of the same photo should get the same hash. Yes,
2: exactly. That's tricky. That's a lot of math. It is a lot of math. So the bottom line is Apple are not the first people to solve this. Microsoft solved this quite some time ago as well. But what is going on here is image hashing, which means that. The hash tells you that it's the same photo, even if that photo has been resized or changed in resolution. And you cannot go backwards. You cannot go from hash to photo. And two photos of the same person will have a different hash because they are not the same photo. So it's not an image recognition thing. It is a photo imprint thing. Okay. So it is a specific photo that is identified. That's
0: amazing by the hash. they can do that as it changes resolution and, and format uh, and cropping. That's. Steve Gibson actually talked about, about it in a bit grade. of
2: detail about how it works, but it's basically about what makes a photo a photo and it's to do with the distribution of the brightness of the different pixels.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's, it's cool. It's cool. Uh, the other concept is threshold encryption. So this is a way of ensuring that the recipient of some encrypted data can only decrypt that when a certain threshold is reached. So you're sending data, Hmm. and none of the data can be decrypted until some sort of threshold is reached, and then
0: all of the data can be decrypted. What kind of threshold? Like a threshold of sameness?
2: Well, a threshold of whatever the sender says is the rule. So the sender, okay. the person doing the encryption will be using a threshold of their choosing and they get to ensure that threshold by basically, let me explain how it works to, and, and you might, it, it'll make okay. more sense. So okay. you encrypt the data twice. You have two keys. The inner key is what does the real encryption and that, that inner key gets encrypted again and the encryption to unlock the first key you give that key out in pieces every time the event you're tracking happens so if 10 events are supposed to happen you break the key into 10 pieces and every time one of those 10 things happens you break you give out another bit of the key and only and when you cross key. the threshold of 10 does the person does the recipient have all the pieces of the key they can then decrypt the inner key, which decrypts everything. Hmm. Okay. So the key here is that you can send something in an encrypted format that the recipient cannot decrypt until a threshold is met. And this is a really important technology for what Apple are doing. So keep that one in your pocket. And that's, that's so it sounds, when you read the description of what Apple are doing, it sounds like a human process. We won't decrypt it until X happens. It's not a human process. It's an encryption system.
0: Interesting. Okay, I think I follow.
2: And then the last thing just to remind ourselves of is the concept of end-to-end encryption, which is based on public key cryptography, where the two parties each have a public and a private key. Anything you encrypt with the public key can only be decrypted with the private and vice versa. So if I want to send stuff to you, I encrypt it with your public key and then only you can read it. And if you want a sense of, to me, you encrypt it with my public key and only I can read it. And an eavesdropper in the middle has zero private key, so they can read nothing.
0: So when people say that Apple can uh, can unlock your iCloud photo library, is that still end-to-end encryption?
2: No, no. So at the moment, as things stand today, a lot of what Apple do in iCloud is end-to-end encrypted. Photos has not yet been end-to-end encrypted. Neither has iCloud email because it relies on IMAP. Uh, So basically, so there are things that are not end-to-end encrypted and Photos is one of them. What's very interesting is that it is now, based on the work Apple have done now, it is now possible for them to make it end-to-end encrypted without losing protection. Oh, interesting.
0: Interesting. So they've written
2: this new protections as if it was end-to-end encrypted, but it isn't. Which means that I think that the second shoe that's about to drop is, oh, by the way, we've now made it end-to-end encrypted because there was an easy route here. They could have done all of this scanning on the cloud because it's not end-to-end encrypted, but they've chosen to go out of their way to make this compatible with end-to-end encryption.
0: Yeah, interesting. I've heard it suggested that Apple wasn't going to do end-to-end encryption on photos because the number of people who lose their password and would lose all of their photos far exceeds the the problems they would solve by encrypting. The
2: math on that keeps changing. It's such a sad thing. Yeah, but the math on that keeps changing as people become more and more privacy aware. So that would have made a lot more sense 10 years ago.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know. I know a lot of people who lose their passwords, but okay, keep going. Uh,
2: Another important concept is the concept of iCloud families. So you, with your Apple ID, can go and create a family in iCloud. You can then invite other Apple IDs into your family. And you can create limited accounts within your family for your kids. So those uh, those right. are Apple IDs that have limited rights because they are part of your family and you, as one of the adults, control what
0: those limited accounts can do. And, and that's when you say kids, you're talking under 13. Nope. You can create them for your children,
2: I but then be adults. In, in iCloud, there are two grades of childness. There are under 18s and there are under 13s, and they have different levels of restrictions.
0: I'm pretty sure my children are in as my children, but they're... um, You
2: can also add adults to your family. Adults. So you can have adult family members, children under 18, and children under 13. And there are different rules for those three types of people.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Yes.
2: Uh, and iCloud families is what Apple are moving everything towards, which is a replacement for the older approach, where you used to have on your iPhone, you can still do it the old way, where you can set a, a pin on the iPhone that says that until someone enters this pin, the phone is in a restricted mode. So you're basically using a pin to apply parental controls. But the modern approach is to use iCloud families to apply parental controls. And that's just a much better model. So what Apple are doing is built around this concept of iCloud families. So that's important. Okay. The other bit of important con- context is around how child protection works in the United States and I guess in the world in general. So everything is about this term CSAM because you do not it is not appropriate, and it probably should should never have been to use a term like kiddie porn. Like that's that was always a a term that made something really horrible. Made it is adorable. Sound, yeah. Exactly. It sounded mm-hmm. cuddly, which is just wrong. Mm-hmm. And child porn doesn't sound, it, that's a childish term. It's not an appropriate term. So CSAM is the actual correct term. It stands for Child Sexual Abuse Material. It covers video, still, it basically, doesn't matter what the media is. The point is, it's kids engaged in sexual activity, right? So CSAM. Okay. So that is the term you're going to hear over and over again. And then, in the American context, there's a very important quasi-governmental organization known as the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is pronounced NICMEC. So it's N-C-M-E-C, but it's pronounced NICMEC. And so NICMEC maintain a database of known CSAM. And they have a special license from the U.S. government that they can legally hold these apparent images and videos, but no one else in the U.S. can legally hold them. So they hold this database of known CSAM, and they... Create a database of hashes out of that database of CSAP. So they are okay. they they don't share the images, they share the hashes. So that's that image hashing technique we talked about earlier. So they are the maintainers of those hashes.
0: Do they also maintain a, a support staff of uh psychologists to help the people who have to identify these? photos?
2: Yes, they do. They're part of the law enforcement infrastructure. So when stuff is discovered as part of police investigations and stuff, it goes up to Nick Mac, and they have okay. all that infrastructure in place. So they're not like moderators in Facebook who are underpaid and horribly abused. This is a very different kettle of fish. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's a very legitimate concern. And the existence of these databases of hashes mean that Apple employees don't have to look at the real thing.
0: Yeah, I wonder why Facebook doesn't just use it.
2: They also, no, no, they Facebook definitely also use the hashes. But the problem is that on Facebook, because it's a place where you publicly share stuff, there are things shared that are not yet in the Mac database. So the oh, Facebook moderators okay. are looking at new content, right? <laughs> so they're being exposed. I mean, iCloud Photos is a different kettle of fish to Facebook, so they do have different problems to solve. So... With all of that context, I'm finally ready to describe the three distinct things Apple did. And I'm going to do them in inverse order of controversialness. So the first thing Apple did is utterly uncontroversial. And I cannot imagine any reason why anyone would be cranky about this. Although I'm sure someone's going to prove me wrong. But I can't see anything wrong with this at all. So, in fact, this is so straightforward, I'm not going to reword it. I'm just going to read what Apple wrote. Apple is expanding guidance in Siri and Search by providing additional resources to help children and parents stay safe online and get help with unsafe situations. For example, users who ask Siri how they can report CSAM or child exploitation will be pointed to resources for where and how to file a report. Siri and Search are also being updated to intervene when users perform search queries related to CSAM. These interventions will explain how will explain to users that interests in this topic are harmful and problematic and provide resources from parents to get help with this issue. Sorry, from partners. From parents or partners. Partners, partners, partners. So they'll provide okay. resources. I don't
0: understand people. that second one. Like I just did a search for CSAM.
2: Okay, but you didn't okay, but you didn't do a search for show me images of
0: Oh, okay. So they're not saying the term "cSam." No, 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 they're no, no. About I mean things that would be in cSam. Okay.
2: Right. So someone who is searching for these kind of images will be
0: intercepted. So Syrians search; they're, they don't do search. What do you mean? They pay Google for search. How does? How does okay, if you swipe down on your Apple phone, if you
2: swipe down on your phone, there's a search box.
0: Oh, okay, on your phone. Yeah.
2: If you type into that search box, Apple is searching for you. And Apple will intercept that, okay. so okay, it's basically Siri without speaking. It's really Siri and Siri.
0: <laughs> okay. Right. Or Siri is swiping down, but with your voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got you. I I understand now. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's number one.
2: Number. I don't know how anyone can argue with that. Right. So that's easy. Okay. Tool number two then is see protections in the messages app. This is a parental control, right? When you hear this this is a parental control that is a feature of the app. It is not a feature of the network, it is not a feature of the protocol, it is a feature of the app and it is a parental control. So,
0: that's specifically part of the Apple Families? Yes. Or is it separate from nope, that?
2: No, no, it is it is a it is okay. an iOS parental control. So, wait, iOS Why only iOS? Uh, uh, Okay, iOS and macOS. It's an Apple ecosystem parental control. Got you. Okay. So, if and only if a parent enables it, Apple will use on device machine learning to scan images received or about to be sent by the Messages app for explicit imagery. Not CSAM, explicit imagery. This is not a CSAM thing. This is just a. An explicit images thing.
0: Uh, okay, how are they doing that?
2: They are using machine with learning the
0: cryptographic
2: machine learning. So not device. with the
0: no in, Sorry, we're sn- no Nick stepping on each other here. Yeah. So none of the none of the encryption stuff that you just talked about. Correct.
2: This is nothing to do with Nick This is nothing to do with CSAM. This is explicit imagery in the messages app being detected on children's phones, in-app, if and only if the parental control to look for this has been turned on. It is machine learning. So like we have machine learning to see if websites are safe, this is machine learning to see if images are safe. Huh. If the machine learning thinks it has found a hit, it doesn't display the image, it blurs it, and it gives the child a warning to say, we think this image might be problematic. Do you want to see it anyway? If the child is under 13 and says yes, the image will be shown and their parent will be notified.
0: If the child sending or receiving,
2: sending or receiving either way. If the image is flagged, Mm -hmm. if the child is, is 13 to 18, the child will be warned and only the child. So this okay. is basically machine learning to look for naughty images and offer the child a warning. That's it. That is all this is. It is on device, only as a parental control. It is not on by default. It is entirely opt-in, and it is only on managed Apple IDs that are a child. So there's a lot of subtleties here. So the first off is it is a parental control. It is no different to safe, safe web browsing in, in Safari. The warnings that are sent are not sent to Apple. They're not sent to the police. The only war- place the warning goes is through the iMessage network, fully end-to-end encrypted from the child's phone to the parent's phone. This is an entirely a parental control. This is not a big brother watching you thing. This is between the parent and the child. Okay. This is a feature of the Messages app. This is not a change to the iMessage protocol. So there is no, there is, this does is not in any way compromise end-to-end encryption because it has nothing to do with how the messages are sent. It is purely to do with what is arrives or about to be sent on the phone. This is purely within the app. It also means that it doesn't matter whether it's an SMS message or whether it's an iMessage. The only thing that matters is that it's a message. So again, that's very important when you talk about people saying Apple are breaking their encryption. No, this is nothing to do with encryption. This is not in transit stuff being scanned by a server. This is on device, there is, at an end. Right? End-to-end encryption doesn't come into it. This still gives me pause. Okay, so how is this different to, as a parent, enabling web filtering on an iPhone?
0: I I, I don't know, that isn't in the context of what I was thinking about. I was thinking more about if it's, a lot of different aspects of it, if it's machine learning on the phone, and I'm seven, Mm -hmm. how many messages does it have to learn from for it to do machine learning of my information?
2: But it's not learning your information. It has been taught to recognize pornographic images, not so it's machine your pornographic learned.
0: images. it's machine learned. Yes. Not machine learning. It's okay. not learning from data that it's seen go by from me. <sighs> okay. This so is, it's, okay. it's been taught, and that, that, that algorithm now knows how to find sexually explicit images. And that algorithm is now going to run against anything I do as a seven-year-old.
2: Correct. So there is a chip in your phone that implements machine learning. So it's basically mm-hmm. a network of weighted nodes. And that network has been trained how to weight each node in the network. Right. The training has been done not on your phone using a pool of data. And the result of the training is then put into your phone. So your phone applies that learned skill to the data on your phone. Entirely okay. on your phone. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: So the, the sec- yeah, it does. Um the second piece is I could see this identical technology be put on people's phones to look for images related to um, dissonant activity. Now, they haven't done that. Apple hasn't done that. But this technology could be used to do that. They, they, they've got something that they could use for, for ill, not good.
2: Um, I think you're conflating this with the third tool we're about to talk about, because Apple don't get told about anything here, so this can't be used by government spying of any sort.
0: Well, Apple has chosen, in this instance, not to be informed. They could be informed, right? Okay, but that would be a completely but They're choosing not feature. to. No, but that's policy. That's not math. This is policy. By policy, they are not going to have this information go to them, Correct.
2: By programming, by like that is a different app. That, that that is it it has always been true that Apple could rewrite their OS to spy on everyone. That was true before this, and that's true now. That was that's what we're talking about here. The Apple would have to completely rewrite this as different functionality to what they've actually written. It would be a rewrite, which they could do. That's always gonna be true. Apple could change iOS to become evil.
0: But I'm not talking about all of iOS we talking about this tool. This tool is being used for good. This same tool, same technology, same concept with different policies could be, could be evil. It isn't, and they're not doing it, but... It will be a complete rewrite because this is a parental control,
2: so you would have to rewrite it to not be a parental control, but instead to be a centralized control reporting to a central office. It would be a complete rewrite. The only thing that would say the same is that there would be machine learning involved. Hmm.
0: Okay, let's move on to the third one. The third one is where I, your I criticism is valid. Okay, so, I haven't said it yet, so let's No, well, no, but this criticism you just made one. applies to the next tool.
2: So the third tool is for CSAM scanning on iCloud photo uploads. So when a photograph is enqueued for upload to iCloud photo, so it's on your phone, it's in the queue to go to the cloud. On your phone, that photograph will be hashed. So the algorithm to turn that photograph into a hash gets run on your phone. That hash will be compared to the NCMEC database of hashes. Your phone will then take the results of that comparison, no matter what the result is, whether it's thumbs up or thumbs down, it will encrypt that result and attach it to the photograph using threshold encryption. And then the photograph and its results, its image safety ticket, Apple is calling it, those two together go up to the cloud.
0: Apple. Okay, I hate it already. Cause it's already so dang slow it makes me bananas. It's just got a whole bunch slower because now it's gonna it's gonna hash it, it's gonna encrypt it, it's gonna send it to some 30 party database to look for a match, bring it back, write out a file and then attach it to my photo and send it up.
2: No, no, the database is on your phone already. The list of hashes will be part of iOS.
0: Okay. Which
2: is important because it means it can't be tampered with. The list of hashes doesn't change. The list of hashes is baked into iOS. So it only comes with iOS updates.
0: But the Nickback database has to be updated.
2: Only with iOS updates. And every iPhone on the planet will have the same hashes. And they will be digitally signed so that the hashes can't mysteriously grow. Because that will be problematic if the hashes could be... Oh, yeah, we'll throw a few extra hashes in here. And now we're going to start reporting this as if it was c
0: 7 mm. Right, that would be problematic. It's, it's going to make it slower.
2: It is going to make it slower, okay. right? There's math happening, right? <clears throat> yeah. Apple have said, dear file, phone... Files
0: being written, attached to the file, the metadata attached to the file and then shipped up. Yeah, there are bits what? being churned. There
2: are bits being crunched, number crunching. Definitely number crunching. Mm. So the ticket contains the result of the hashing. And it contains a low-resolution thumbnail. They're not using the word thumbnail. They're using a different euphemism. But it's, look, it's a thumbnail, right? It's a thumbnail being put into this ticket. But the whole kit and caboodle is encrypted using threshold encryption. So that means that until your account has ha- had many positive matches, Apple don't know it's had any.
0: Many positive matches.
2: Yes, this will only detect someone who uploads lots of CSAM. And that's actually the pattern that law enforcement say is the problem. Almost no one distributes CSAM. The people who do distribute lots of it. It's Hmm. a very asymmetric problem. So this system... Doesn't flag your account in any way, and cryptographically can't until you cross a threshold—not of having an image get tagged, but having many images get tagged—and then the threshold encryption kicks in, and all of the images' safety tickets get decrypted at once. And then a human being, an Apple, checks the tickets because at no point can they see the photo. Right? All they get is the tickets. They check that the tickets make sense. They the tickets do contain a thumbnail. And then, assuming it passes the sanity check by the humans, then it goes to law enforcement. Now, because we're are doing matches of hashes, and you have to meet a threshold, the probability of a false positive is massively multiplied together, so that Apple say mm-hmm. it is a one in a trillion chance of a false positive per year.
0: So that's good. I, I'm Very really, good. you know. I don't have a lot of experience in downloading uh, child pornography or CSAM, so I'm going to ask a very naive question here. I'm trying to picture, so this isn't someone who is exploiting a child taking pictures of them with their phone. This is someone who is going somewhere, finding these images that are already in the Mac database. Yes. Adding them to their photo library, and then their photo library, they're using iCloud photo library to send it up to the cloud. Yes. That'd have to be the path.
2: That would have to be the path. So if they're not
0: using iCloud photo library, or they're doing everything just downloading to their Mac, for example, Mm -hmm. this would never come up. Correct. Okay. So So they're saving the image, the CSAM images.
2: Right, so the problem to be solved is that cloud services are being abused to distribute
0: known CSAM. So how does iCloud Photo Library distribute CSAM, known CSAM?
2: Well, you can use iCloud Photo to share a family album. You can use iCloud Photo to share albums. You can use iCloud okay. Photo to sync images between computers.
0: Okay. You can. It seems a little bit different, but yeah. I mean, that seems like a very odd use, but okay right it's just one of the contributors right you can imagine that there's easier ways to share
2: absolutely but the 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 problem is that we know that cloud services are abused for this kind of thing and so Mm -hmm. dropbox already scanned for for the nick mac database they just do it on the server microsoft in office 365 scan for the nick mac hashes but they do it on the server and Mm -hmm. Basically, Apple were getting finger pointed because if you, there are reports on how many uh, breaches are reported to Nick Mac every year. And one of the years, Facebook reported a few hundred thousand and Apple reported 250 something. Uh. And that's just, that's not good. So the pressure is going to come on Apple. Look, your platform is used by a lot of people and your platform has no protections. What are you going to do about it? And so the question is, do they do it on server or do they do do it on device in a privacy-respecting way?
0: Okay, okay. Somebody on DTNS asked, uh, why now? And Tom said that Apple says, because we just figured out how to do it in this way that preserves privacy.
2: Yeah. So in my notes, I just have some of the things that I think are the most important The four most important points So this, the scanning is happening only on photos queued to be uploaded to iCloud Photos, because this is about protecting iCloud Photos from being abused. So Mm -hmm. this is not something, if if you do not want your photo scanned for these hashes, then don't use iCloud Photo. This is about the cloud not being abused, so don't use the cloud if you don't want your stuff checked. The scanning is entirely on device, which is different to how everyone else has done this. So all the other cloud providers are doing this in the cloud, Apple are choosing to do it on device, which means that they're now compatible with making the cloud be fully encrypted, which is an interesting possibility we've already talked about. The scanning is not machine learning, right? This is not trying to find things that look like they might be CSAM. This is matching to known hashes. Of known CSAM, so this is this is this is one of the points where there was a lot of conflation because the Messages feature was machine learning to find the explicit images. This is scanning hashes for known specific CSAM images. They're very okay. different things, but people conflated the two and assumed that the same machine learning was being done for both iCloud Photo and Messages. But they're not; they're very, very, very different things. And, got yeah, got ya. And the really important thing is that there is cryptography underlying this thing Apple say where we can't see anything until a threshold is met. That's not policy, that's cryptography. And that's probably why this has taken so long for Apple to do it, because figuring that crypto out was actually darn hard. I've simplified how threshold encryption works. <laughs> because the point is to say what it does. The actual how is darn bloody clever. And darn bloody, cool, but let's not break our heads with it here and now. We have a lot to digest today.
0: <laughs> it was nerdy enough uh, really? just just nerdy enough is what I would call it, yeah, so
2: a lot of work has gone into making this privacy preserving, and a lot of work has gone into making it so that we don't have basically the one place where humans enter into this right the 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 point of slippery slope danger is in what hashes get scanned for, right? So mm-hmm. at the moment, the only hashes in the picture are from the Nick Mac database. But if okay. the Chinese government make it a condition of selling iPhones in China that Apple must also scan for a list of hashes from the Chinese government's database of bad stuff, well, that rather changes the math, doesn't it? So
0: the thing, well, no, the math is still the same.
2: Sorry, that changes the (laughs) that changes our policy, our calculation of how we feel about it. Right? Right, right. So the source of the hashes is the thing that we need to watch like a hawk. Who does Apple partner with? Because if they start to accept hashes from the wrong people, we're in trouble.
0: You know that one gets when you go to the extreme to China and what they might do with it to the Uyghurs or to dissidents or whatever. That's where you you can tell okay. So that would be wrong. Yeah. But what about something a little bit closer, um, like an Arab country where seeing a woman's ankles is considered improper? You know, you could see like that's that's a cultural difference.
2: Okay, but the thing is, it's not a machine learning thing where you could ask Apple to filter ankles. Right. You would have to have a hash a of every picture of, what of an ankle. Looks like
0: yeah 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 so it, it couldn't very easily be
2: flipped to that no what it could be flipped for is if you have a campaign of freedom fighters who are using a specific um inspirational photo to to gin up you know to to pep up their supporters well
0: that mm-hmm. is something you could do a hash up right you could put a nazi logo in the database
2: well, no, but it, no, it would have to be a specific. Oh, it would have to photo. be all
0: Nazi logo photos. Yeah,
2: exactly. Right. This is not machine learning. This is not yeah. pattern recognition. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is photo
0: recognition. Yeah.
2: So the picture of the the protester in front of the tank on Tiananmen Square mm-hmm. that could be put in, and any group sharing that photograph is probably an anti Chinese government group.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So they're the kind of dangers where you have. So it's that's all about so the weird is
0: that the NICMAC database even exists, that there is this set of photos.
2: But the Nick database exists specifically because the cloud service providers were like, we cannot be responsible for figuring out what is and isn't uh abuse imagery. Right. We uh-huh. need we if you want us to scan, tell us what to look for. Tell us what to look for without showing us. Because we can't expose yeah. our staff. And so that's why the hashing. And an awful lot of really good work on the hashing is done by Microsoft. Like Microsoft cool. deserve a lot of credit for their hashing system, which is the basis for a lot of automated scanning. And okay. They were very instrumental in setting up uh, the Mac database. So they deserve. Big when I
0: first when I first saw this story, I sent it to Bart and said, "Well, this is interesting." <laughs> he said, "Well, there's an understatement, Allison." <laughs> I, I like that explanation part. That was really good. I like how you broke it down and explained it instead of talking about everything that was wrong. That was that was definitely a good decision.
2: Yeah. And then only, for what it's worth, because I don't think my opinion is particularly valuable, but my gut reaction was <laughs> Oh. No, I I don't think I don't think people should take my opinion for things. They should make their own opinion. But if people care about what my opinion is, my gut reaction was I need to look at this very carefully cuz this is dangerous territory. I've done my homework. It is my opinion that Apple have done this in a privacy-preserving way. My only thing I'm going to be watching out for is what databases Apple choose to partner with. And as long as they continue to hold the line on that, which, you know, stuff like San Bernardino tells us they are prepared to hold the line. As long as they're prepared to hold the line, I'm not worried about this. It's all about the hashes in my mind.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I'm sorry. Now I understand. You're saying you're right now, was when you stated your opinion. All of the stuff you said before that was an opinion. Bing, bing. <laughs> I yes. yes. I was going to say, wait, you thought you didn't think that was useful? I thought that was really useful, Bart.
2: Yeah. Okay. So there we are. There are links. Oh, the other, did I say that Apple released a white paper detailing how all this works? I didn't, did I? I forgot this bit. So there's a link. The first link in the link section is to Apple's page on this, which gives a good human friendly description. But at the bottom are links to PDFs. One of those PDFs is a white paper that describes the technology, which is really, I find that supremely useful because it's full of the nerdy detail I wanted. What also really caught my eye is there are three independent reports from cryptographers who have vetted Apple's technology and literally stand over it and say, I have validated that this does what Apple says it does. So they are literally asserting... With their credibility as career cryptographers, they're oh. testing Apple's work. They are named. Oh, that's good. So they are putting their reputation on the line, and you can read the reports, and they basically say, "I verify that, and I assert that." So it's that, that's really good to see. Um, and there's actually there's a few other documents in there too that people may find interesting. So the, Apple obviously realised that this was a hornets' nest they were about to kick open. So they did do their homework on this,
0: um, which is good. Great, 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 great.
2: Okay, so there we are. Right, Whew, that was that was a heavy lift, but here we are. Yeah, so, it was <laughs> a few other stories to to round out the show. Uh, in terms of some calls to action, basically. We already mentioned that iOS 14.7.1 probably fixed the Pegasus vulnerability. Well, that same vulnerability is fixed in macOS 11.5.1 and watchOS 7.6.1. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch. In terms of worthy warnings, just the one that crossed my radar, a British site called Raffle House. They basically run lotteries. They've had a fairly major data breach where they accidentally forgot to protect their uh, Amazon S3 bucket full of hundreds of CSV files containing personal information about their users. Oops. Oops. Yeah. The big danger is spear phishing in this one because it doesn't contain financial data, just who you are and what lotteries you took part in. So that's obviously a place you could fish people, perhaps for bank yeah. information, asking them, hey, you won that lottery. I know you entered. Give me your bank details and I'll give you some money, right? Danger, danger.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Notable news then, only one thing sort of crossed my radar, apart from the Apple story. Um, Instagram have actually gone and made some quite substantial changes to how they're going to treat under 18s. So mm. there has been this concept of a private account, which means that your stuff is is much less shared. From now on, people under 18's account will default to private. They have the option to choose to make it a public account. So if you want to be a young influencer and become the next big hit, you can do so, but you have to proactively choose to make yourself visible to others.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: So it's a really good switch of the default, basically. And the intention is to make it harder for adults to target children. Good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Given our previous conversation. Uh, In terms of some top tips then, uh, I came across a really nice article on the Mac security blog over at Intego. It's about something called lookalike domains that we have talked about before. uh, Just some nice descriptions of how the different browsers deal with them and some tips to help you stay safe. So it's just a nice bit of work there by the guys at Intego, so I thought it was worth linking to. On a similar vein, two very related pieces of uh, what I call excellent explainers, both from iMore. Uh, thread everything you need to know and matter everything you need to know thread is the future of the hardware of iot and matter is the future of the software of iot they are very interrelated technologies and yet separate so it's good to have an everything you need to know on both of those and they are being actively tweaked and updated as more stuff comes out so those are actually just good to bookmark um, there's a-
0: and if you want to know more about Thread, we had a chit-chat across the pond with Micah Sargent, where he described it. That was uh, that was really good just a, I don't know, a month or so ago.
2: It really was, actually, because armed with Micah's interview with you, these two FAQs were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is just confirming what Micah already told me, which is great. That was a really <laughs> good show, did. too, Micah. That really clarified it for me. Uh, and then in terms of interesting insights, um, two things here I want to link to. So... Brian Krebs has an excellent article on the life cycle of a breached database. It's just a good explainer of the economics of how we know that there's data leaks and we know bad things happen. Okay, how does A connect to B? It's, you know, it's good to understand these things. And then the last thing I have in here is a podcast recommendation. I found it fascinating, but I'm not sure if it made me more or less worried about Google. <laughs> but it was fascinating. It's an interview Neilai Patel has done with YouTube's chief product officer, where they talk about the algorithm, monetization, and Google's relationship with creators. It was fascinating. And I, there were things that made me go, OK, that's more forward thinking than I was expecting. And there were things that made me go, yeah, that's just as problematic as I thought. So <laughs> I came out of it very better informed, but neither ecstatic nor horrified. Uh, okay. And unfortunately. So, no, I have given us a
0: pallet cleanser. Oh,
2: thank goodness, because I had none.
0: <laughs> right, right. So uh one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter is Caleb Fong, uh also known as Supremo. He's in our Slack. Great guy. He tweeted a NASA photo of the International Space Station, so you can see the solar array and some other bits of the of the ISS with a Perseid meteor meteor hitting or going down to Earth. It it is a spectacular photo. So I put his tweet in as our palate cleanser. Excellent.
2: And that that serves as like a double bonus because that photo was on uh, NASA's astronomy picture of the day, APOD. So if you like that picture, subscribe to APOD and you get a cool astronomy picture once a day.
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot for me. So I follow Caleb and he shows me the best ones. (laughs)
2: I, I mean, there's gonna c- sip of my Dr Pepper just as you said. That. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, he's your curator have... of APOD. Uh,
0: exactly, I wouldn't have room for anger and 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 fear and stuff if I if I filled it with happy images from, from space. So
2: it's you know. <laughs> <laughs> funny. I I mean, there there are a lot of people I trust as aggregators in my life because you're right. There's too much happening on the internet. So if you find someone you trust to filter the news for you, that's so valuable. But APOD, I do the filtering on.
0: Uh, there you go. Well, he's he has an IFTTT that he uses with it, so it's pretty cool. Excellent. Cool.
2: Okay, well, that rounds out a um,
0: feature Not non- depressing. That was not depressing. Yes. Yes. No, that was informative.
2: Which is, it's kind of odd when we had an entire hour talking about child abuse imagery and we're coming out of it going, no, no, Bart, that wasn't depressing. <laughs> yeah,
0: as good as it could be.
2: Yeah. Well, anyway, folks, remember... Despite everything else, the most important thing is to stay patched so you stay secure.
0: Well, after that long mammoth show, it's going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions. Everything is fiddly recordings. Haven't had any of those in in a while. I've had a lot of fiddly bits. So much I couldn't even write them up because everything was going wrong this week. But send those, your comments and suggestions, by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with PodFeed.com. We've got PodFeed.com slash Patreon. You can become a patron of the Podfeet podcast because you can be cool like David Berger if you do. If you don't want to do a long-term donation, you could go to podfee.com slash PayPal and do a one-time donation. I really love people who contribute to the show by talking to each other, answering each other's questions, and the best place to do that is podfee.com slash Slack or podfee.com slash Facebook, where you can get into the conversation. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfee.com slash live, where all of the crazy No Nosilla castaways live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time.